Thanks for listening to the 5x2 podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing the topic of sexuality, which can sometimes be a very delicate topic to cover. If you hear anything in this episode that we should have said or worded differently, please let us know by contacting us at gotquestions at stpeters-columbus.org. That's gotquestions at stpeters-columbus.org. Our goal is to engage in conversations on this topic and all topics with respect and love. Hi, this is George Denholm. And this is Dustin Weber. Welcome to the 5 by 2 podcast, where each week we discuss Christian discipleship. We hope that you'll find this podcast interesting and informative, but also challenging as you strive to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We continue to welcome Julie Dietrich, who will be co-hosting with us for the next uh, few weeks as we discuss grace and truth. And again, this is the focus of a Sunday morning Bible group led by Pastor John and Pastor Adam that's going to run through the beginning of October. So George, can you kind of just get us started off here? As we're, so the last episode was Sexuality Part 1, and we're continuing on the topic of sexuality, and so we're covering Sexuality Part 2 today. Yeah, just let me refresh a couple of uh, definitions we used last week, and I'll just go really short on those. Uh, you can turn to the last week for a little bit more discussion on that. But let's just give a couple words. First, gay. The word gay simply describes someone attracted to the same sex and not to the opposite sex. Sex is comprised of two categories of male and female based on biology, specifically the presence of a Y chromosome. Now, if you want to get a little more advanced, it also includes the internal reproductive organs, the external sexual anatomy, and the endocrine system. But basically speaking, it's the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. Gender, on the other hand, is the psychological, social, and cultural aspect of being male and female. And then finally, as defined by Pastor John and Pastor Adam, a conservative biblical understanding of marriage is taken from Genesis, one man and one woman committed to each other for life. Using those basic definitions as our basis, we'll have our discussion. Now, other people will have a slightly different definition, but as we discussed last week, it's very important for us as we're having discussions with others to make sure we've got a clear vocabulary. First of all, thank you for those definitions reminding us. But as Christians, we a lot of times are wondering, like, what is the the right thing or how do I apply both full truth and full grace when facing certain situations or, or talking about certain topics? So can you kind of give us, like, when people are asking that question, what's kind of the, the direction or answer that you would lead them? That's a huge question, Dustin. And I think one of the keys in this whole process is to understand what you believe about the Bible. Because how can we know what grace is or what truth is without having a full comprehension of the Bible? I think Julie said it like three episodes ago. Ultimate truth is defined by God's Word. And so as we look at trying to apply truth and grace to each situation, we really need to know what God's Word says. And it's really even more important in our society today because there are some Christians who have a different interpretation of what the Bible said. And so as we go back to the Bible, we as conservative Bible-believing Christians, as Lutherans of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, believe that the Bible is word for word given to us by inspiration from God. He writes through human writers using their styles and their audiences, but he is the one that gives the words. And so each word is important for us. And as we look at the Bible, we do understand that there are some things that are cultural. And so as we look at the Bible, we need to be very closely looking at, is this a cultural application or is this an eternal application? So one of the things we do with that, for example, when people say, well, that's just an Old Testament thing. 
is to sort out some of those laws. There were 600 and some Jewish laws. Well, do all those apply to us? And so we've got some basic categories that we talk about when we talk about the law. So, for example, civil law are those laws that were given by God because the Jewish people were a nation. So, for example, when they were traveling through the desert, bury your dung outside the camp. That doesn't apply to Christians. Now we have, in this world today, we have modern plumbing. We don't have to go and dig it out in the outside of the camp. Uh, that was a cultural thing for cleanliness. That was a civil thing. Another civil law for them might have been what happens when your house has mold on the walls. And God gave them some ideas about how that would. Some of the punishments that God prescribed were because it was a government that was in charge of making sure that God's people had an orderly society. So the laws had a consequence that was outlined by God. A similar thing might be in our country today. We have laws about what our septic system has to look like or how we have to attach to the sewer system in terms of a cleanliness or a sanitary thing. We have laws about speed limits, which wouldn't have existed in the Bible. That's a civil law. In those kind of laws, God has told us to obey the government as long as it doesn't contradict what he says in another one of his laws. So again, for the Jewish people, there would have been no civil laws. The next thing is the ceremonial laws, and this would be all those things that had to do with sacrifices and how to purify yourself before you went into the temple and, and what the priest and the Levites had to do. Obviously, those things were for that temple worship, and Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice has removed the, the need for sacrifice for us. So those ceremonial laws don't apply. The laws that still apply from the Old Testament to us are what we would say are the moral laws. And that would be the basic Ten Commandments because those are basic moral guidelines that are, again, reinforced by Jesus. So when Jesus talks about thou shalt not murder, he talks about being angry or using mean words or hurtful behaviors that fit under that category. The general moral law that was outlined there in the Ten Commandments still applies to us. And so it's important when we go to sexuality, the same thing. The moral law of you shall not commit adultery is defined throughout the Bible, given to us in the Old Testament, but we are continually reminded by Jesus and by Paul and by Peter and other apostles in the New Testament, this is how it applies to everybody, not just the Old Testament. It's key for that. And so, again, when we quote things from the Bible, we need to be sure as Christians that we're using that accurately. Because I've heard places where Christians interpret the Bible incorrectly both ways, either too harshly, for example, if you're guilty of this crime, we can kill you, or too loosely, that sin is no longer a sin because that was just cultural. And so we've got to be very careful as Christians to understand the whole counsel of God's Word. We need to make sure we're in God's Word for us discerning, is this something that applies to us forever? How do we do this as Christians? And again, the best place is, how did Jesus live this out? Let's look at how Jesus lived this out. And that's a lot of responsibility on us to look at God's Word and interpret it correctly, which is a really good reason to surround yourself with other people and be in a group. I feel like my inner Dustin and George is coming out here and doing a 5 by 2 commercial here, but you always speak of that, that that's part of the 5 by 2 It's those meaningful conversations, and I put this in that category. Yeah, absolutely. George, there was a ton of great information there. So I kind of want to just recap it, you know, and maybe summarize. And so you can correct me where I may be wrong, but... Which is a principle we talked about last week. Did I hear you say? <laughs> yes, exactly. So 
what I was hearing is there's three different types of laws is what you went over, right? So we have civil, which is more based off, again, kind of society. And so the ones in the Old Testament don't necessarily apply to us because society has changed and, and things like that. Is that is that correct? That'd be correct. Those are those laws that we need to function as a society of different people in the same community. Gotcha. And then ceremonial were different things, like whether it was sacrifices, things like that. But because Jesus has fulfilled all those things, we no longer need those ceremonial laws. Is that? And that would be accurate too. Again, the specifics of worship, but not the general law of you need to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then moral law is God's law in terms of things that we should be doing or should not be doing. But those things obviously still apply to us today. Those things don't change. Those are forever. Exactly. And those are the ones that Jesus fulfilled perfectly for us. And in response to him, we continue to try to live out knowing, again, we're going to fall short and we've got forgiveness for those times we fall short. Okay, great. Like I said, I just wanted to kind of recap that because it was a lot of great information, but just kind of sum it up a little bit and just kind of review that. And so as we talk about the different kind of interpretations and things like that, so why is it that there's so many different interpretations of things like a different denomination or a different group of Christians over here may interpret something completely different than another denomination or group of Christians over here? There's a deep answer for that, and there's a shallow answer to that. The shallow answer is because we're all sinful humans and we wanted to fit our classifications and our understanding. But the deeper understanding, again, goes back to I use the word several times in the this podcast and past ones, conservative Bible-believing Christians. We have a very strict understanding of Scripture. Not literalistic, but literal. We look at what's the style of writing, how is it presented in terms of does it last forever, is that that immediate situation? But we take it so that each word is important. We believe that the Holy Spirit breathed that in. On the other hand, there are some Christians who have a more liberal understanding, and it's like these are guidelines from God. We are free to apply them to our life. There's a whole branch of Christian philosophy, Christian viewpoint, which says, I can have my own understanding of the Bible. What does this mean to me? And I think we talked about it in one of our other episodes. There's only one meaning for each verse of Scripture. Now I can apply it different ways, but God has one meaning that is the one that he wants us to have as our underlying focus. And so it doesn't mean something different to me and it means something different to you. It means the same thing. I want to find by understanding God's word and asking questions of my brothers and sisters to help discern that meaning. But I may apply it differently as I live out my life. You know, again, the age thing is a huge deal. So I've used the example several times of stealing. Well, when I'm in grade school, stealing is cheating on a test. Uh, When I'm an adult, stealing is not paying all the taxes I need to pay. Stealing when I've got a job is not working hard for my employer. The meaning is God has given to each of us gifts that we are not to take from another person, but it can apply different places as I'm going through my life. So I don't know if I I answered that completely. I've got Julie looking over here at me like, No, no, no. I just, I think that was great clarification. There's one meaning, different applications, not multiple meanings multiple applications. And that's the simple answer I think given just helps us all put ourselves in that frame of mind. And there again, as we get into our culture, there are a lot of Christians that are saying, well, we need to be relevant to culture. And so they're willing to twist some of those concepts that we would say as conservative Bible believers. And we're not, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is not the only conservative Bible believing denomination, but there are some that have said, well, in order to make Jesus more palatable, to make Christianity more open, we need to flex 
facts on some of these things that we've hold solid. And what we need to do is look at what did God say? Is this something that we can flex on or is this something that is solid? And so again, one of the things that we would say is the Bible doesn't say this is the worship style you have to have. There's some flex in that. But it does say that you should not steal or you should not kill. So some of those things we would say are hard and fast. Yeah, no, I think that's great because I think I've talked about before where we adapt to culture, but we do not compromise on the gospel or on the truth. We don't compromise on scripture, right? And so finding those ways where we can adapt to culture and make those connections with people, but the gospel doesn't change the scripture doesn't change like that stays like that we do not compromise on that at all again maybe it's application or different things like that that may differ depending on the situation or the person or how we're trying to connect with somebody but yeah we can't ever try to compromise on scripture or on the gospel so another example on that same aspect when peter preaches on the day of pentecost he uses old testament references because he's preaching to jewish people when paul in the book of acts starts preaching he starts using the contemporary poets and authors of the time as his references. Not that he's not referencing scripture, but he is addressing his message using what the hearers are familiar with and then bridging from theirs into God's truth. Still keeping God's truth pure, but bringing aspects of culture to clarify his message. I think something else that's important, and Julie or George, you can both chime in on this, but it can be very easy for us, I think, sometimes as Christians, is maybe we're engaging in a conversation, and it could be really any kind of topic, but we're like, oh, I'm going to pull out this scripture verse to like support my side of things. And maybe it's just a quick Google or something like that, and we're not really looking at the whole thing. So how do we avoid doing that, or what's like important? How do we make sure that we're not just pulling out a verse that we're trying to support something that we're saying, but we really don't know necessarily what's going on in that passage or, or chapter or whatever? What you just mentioned is what I call cherry-picking the verse you want. You know, you take one cherry off the tree rather than looking at the whole tree. I think the key is to look at God's whole word. So there's a joke, you know, the man that was depressed, and he's opening up verses to find which verse he wants. And the first verse he opens to is in the Psalms, I'm a worm and no man. And then the next verse he opens to, Judas went out and hung himself. And then he opens up another one, go and do likewise. Well, you've picked three verses that are not related to each other at all out of context, and you've gotten a path that is completely wrong. And so, again, as Christians, there's a lot of times we pick those examples from the Old Testament, which had a consequence, that civil consequence, and we want to apply that consequence to now. Well, the government today might have different consequences for our actions. We no longer stone kids who backtalk their parents. That is in the Old Testament. Now, if I cherry pick that one verse, then it's like, oh, man. Now, if you take it on the other side, well, God's being harsh in the Old Testament. He was setting up some specific things for a culture there that needed to be in place for that culture to exist in a hostile environment. We have a different kind of hostility coming to us from the world around us. And so we got to think, all right, well, I can't kill my children because they backtalk me. That's that's an Old Testament civil law. Yeah, we can get into that. Any topic. We're talking about sexuality. You can apply it to sexuality a lot. But, you know, even the, the whole discussion on capital punishment, should we have it or we should, should we not? Well, biblically, the government's been given that privilege, that right, that responsibility by God. That doesn't mean they have to use that form of punishment. If they decide that that's an accurate form of punishment uh, to deter the crime, again, we might say as Christians, well, where does that 
limitation in. You know, do you have capital punishment for the 17-year-old that was shoplifting? Well, probably that's an excessive use of that punishment. But somebody that is a serial murderer, well, maybe that is the correct punishment. But we don't have that privilege. It's the government that's given that privilege of capital punishment. And so, again, we kind of kind of really, as Christians, immerse ourselves into the Word. And I think that's the key. A lot of times people have those single verses that they choose to back up their argument without seeing the full picture of God's Word. So I didn't attend Sunday's Bible class, but I did listen to the recording. And there was something said, I think Pastor John said it, this conversation that they had Sunday during Bible class is not about the issue. It's not about issues, it's about people. And when you asked Dustin, how do we you know, avoid cherry picking, like George said, I think if we look at scripture, not that we're trying to use it to defend an issue, but we look at it through what are we trying to find out about God's people? Because we're God's people. And the other person maybe that we're going to use scripture against is God's person too. We're all God's people. So I think changing the lens of this is not about issues. This is about people. So let's take it from there. Yeah, I think that's huge, Julie. I'd agree with that. Too often times we pick a sin and we're going to do everything in our power to eliminate that sin without looking to this is a person that's making a mistake just as we've made mistakes in other aspects of our life. How would we like it if the sin that was picked on was gossiping? Well, if that was the case, we'd want forgiveness. So how would we treat the other person that has that sin we don't like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it is as we get to know the person, you can start to then see an outward behavior, some sort of sin. There really always is a root issue that's going on, right? And so we may just see something on the outside, but we're not really seeing necessarily what's at the root of it. As you start to get to know somebody, you can start to get to the root of what is causing this action or this behavior or whatever it may be. And then you can start to be able to speak truth to whatever that issue or that root cause is going on, speak God's grace, God's truth, the gospel to what is going on for that issue. And so that way then it's not just like trying to manage the symptoms in a sense, you know, we're actually getting to the root cause of, of what's going on. And one thing I think you said, George, is when we talk about the, the cherry picking of verses, I think you use the word context. And that's so key is sometimes it might have to be looking at verses before It may even be chapters before that we're having to look at where what's really going on in the context of that one verse, what's going on in the whole context. And it might be verses or chapters afterwards too, like you said, looking at the bigger picture, not just looking at picking one verse out. We have to really look at how does it fit into the rest of that chapter or scripture as a whole. But that takes a lot of time and a dedication to put the time into figuring that out and finding that out. And do we have the patience to do that? Is it worth it? I think as those that follow Jesus, it's of key importance that we understand what he says to us. And that's where we would go back to the five by two you mentioned earlier. Every one of us needs to be involved in personal Bible study where we're looking at God's word, we're reflecting on God's word, we're trying to understand the situation. I just think as you were talking about that, we were talking before the podcast as we were getting, you know, just warming up about language. It's huge to understand the language that we use now and the language that was used at that time. Because we all know if somebody uses the incorrect tense of a verb, we can understand what they're saying because the culture we live in, we make the interpretation. When you look at the Bible, sometimes you got to look at understanding the way that they spoke. So, for example, uh, the one about hate. Uh, Jesus says, if you hate your neighbor, you're a murderer. 
But then another verse, he says, you know, unless somebody hates their mother and father, then they don't really want to follow me. Well, it's not the same hate in the way that he's expressing it. It's the one is the comparison between devotion to God has got to be the utmost. So I hate my family in terms of I love God so much more than anybody else that it might look like hate in terms of the rejection. It's not the same emotion as hating your enemies where you want the worst thing to happen to them. You want bad things to happen to them. You're wishing them pain. That's the hatred that Jesus condemns. But the other one's a, a wordplay. And so, again, there's sometimes the Bible uses exaggeration. Uh, it's better to pluck out your eye than to have it sin. Well, I don't think God wants us all to walk around with one eyeball. Every time I walk through Walmart, I'm going through the sporting goods section. I'm looking at that great fishing pole or that new bowling ball. God doesn't want me to pluck out my eyes because I'm looking for something at, at Walmart. New bowling ball? Where did that come from? <laughs> I was trying to give. That would not be my temptation for a fishing pole or a bowling ball. I was just trying to give that kind of oh, just... an analogy. Thanks, Dustin. <laughs> for calling me on that. But, but you know, there again, that... that I'm just trying to picture you with one eye. <laughs> the turn of a phrase, like, you know, you could probably walk around in any mall and you just see eyeballs rolling around from all the Christians. That's not meant to be taken literalistically, and that's why I used that term before. Literalistically, so, we don't pull out our eyes. Literally, we should think about the spiritual consequences more than the physical consequences. And so that's just understanding the words and how they're used. I'm glad you brought that back up, because I remember when you were talking about that, I wanted to ask... Uh, and I forgot, but can you define slash give the difference between literal and literalistically? Yeah, so literalistically is an exact one for one. If, if Jesus says, hate your family, if, you know, then we go, I've got to go and, and, you know, wish my family evil and kick them out and say not bad words to them. That's a literalistically. Literally, Jesus is saying it's a comparison. You know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated— God didn't hate Esau, but the comparison was he had his plan through Jacob, and Esau wasn't part of that plan of the Messianic promise. God still loved Esau. God loves all people. And so that literalistically, we're not to say God hated Esau, and so he had everything planned bad for him. That's a turn of a phrase. That, that would be where we would say literally it's the comparison, not literalistically he hates, wants evil things for Esau. So George and Dustin, help me understand how does this relate back to where we started? We started with definitions regarding sexuality. So bring, bring it back around for me. Let me use two examples. For those that take the Bible literalistically, they look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and say God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of gay sex behavior. But if you look at the story through the whole picture, Earlier in the book of Genesis, before Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, God had demonstrated his power in rescuing them from the powers of a foreign king. And then the actions that God says he's going to destroy them for, when he tells Abraham, their evil has cried out to me. It's not a specific thing. He does not mention a specific sin. Their evil in general. What happens as the angels appeared a lot and the men of the town go, bring them out so we may have sex with them. It's not the act of the gay sex that God says is the horrible sin. It's the fact that you would pull a visitor out and basically rape them. It's a violence that is just a symptom of the evil that is within their hearts. God didn't destroy them for the homosexuality. He destroyed them for 
knowing what was right because Abraham had set that pattern for them and still behaving so evilly that they would go against even the, the cultural norms of their time, which was very much about hospitality to strangers. That's a literalistic one. We can kill gays because God says that gay behavior was destroyed in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not the biblical story. On the other hand, the people that would take it on the other extreme try to look at the societal things. And so in the New Testament, uh, there was a lot of times where there was a relationship between an older Greek man and a younger Greek boy where the Greek man would abuse the boy in return for the boy getting education from the older Greek man. It was just a societal thing that happened a lot of times in that society. And so people would say, well, that's what's condemned in the New Testament when they say that you should not have same-sex relationships, that abuse by an older person on the younger person. And rape and abusive sexual behaviors are definitely against what God plans, but that's not what that verse says. That's a very specific case, and that is not what's mentioned when Paul says sexual relations with the same sex is wrong, because there are other verses, if we look through the whole thing, where it's included in a list of immoral sins, which goes back against what Jesus himself says is the pattern of marriage, one man, one woman for life. Jesus himself does not ever speak specifically on homosexuality, but does say God's view of marriage is this, and then he gives it. And so this is where we would go back to understand the total picture of grace and truth within God's view of sexuality would be to say all of us have sinned sexually. There is forgiveness for all of us, but God's best plan for us is outlined very clearly, one man, one woman for life. And so as you're having this discussion, too many times Christians will take one side or the other. They'll say anything is permissible as long as it's not this, 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 or we can't even allow those people to live in our society. Either one of those extremes is wrong. When we look at people, we need to understand all of us, all of us have fallen short in terms of the way that we are supposed to behave with our bodies, living a chaste and decent life in word and deed. Yeah, I think that's, that's the switch when you said when we think of people, like I said earlier, not treated as an issue, but that we are all people that flips a switch that changes everything. I'd hate for anybody to analyze my life and look at all the sins that I've had and say, I'm not going to talk to you because you've had this sin or this and this in your life. It's like, yeah, I've made a ton of mistakes, especially when you're growing up and you're young and you're not even thinking about the consequences. If somebody would judge me for something I did when I was 25, 26 and never talk to me again, like, oh, that, that'd be horrible. All right. Well, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. Time has gone by uh, really fast. But as we start to wrap up, so Pastor John and Pastor Adam and their next Sunday morning Bible group are going to be talking more on the specifics of sexuality. And today we talked about it, but we also wanted to give some more general principles on with whether it's a topic of sexuality or other topics that, that we can use. So Julie, can you kind of summarize or give us kind of what those principles were? Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of fall into two buckets, if you will. The first one is investing the time to dig into God's word and understand the context and understand what's being said, avoiding cherry picking, but and also surrounding yourself with people. And when you are not sure what God's word is saying, if you feel like you're not reading it with its true intention and you're not understanding it as true intention, to surround yourself with people to help you get to that point. And also just the the second one is just loving people the way God would love people. It's not about issues. It's about God's people. And we're all 
dearly loved and forgiven children of God. And in that regard to that last one, I just remember something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. Mm. I accept my children even when they make mistakes in, in terms of the rules at home, but that doesn't mean I approved of their mistake. And so that's a huge thing when we're lo- talking about loving people. I can love them and still not approve of what they're doing. All right. Well, thank you to our listeners for, for tuning in. And um, we look forward. We got a couple more episodes on grace and truth left. And we look forward to those. Now, go out and serve God and others. Yeah.